0: Hi, welcome to the Canine Aptitude Podcast, where we give everyday solutions to the everyday dog owner. I'm Emily.
1: And I am Shayna.
0: And today we are talking about a behavior case.
1: And that's all we're going to give you right now.
0: Okay guys so a uh, little bit of a, an odd and very real blur for you today and Shane is gonna read it out
1: okay so I got this message in my dog training page and it is long and it is intense and it kind of goes to show the amount of struggle that people can have with a dog It's not just sitting and down and my dog eats cookies off the counter. You right. know, like it can get much deeper than that, especially when you are trainers like Emily and I working with these really hard, complex cases. So this would be a complex case that we're bringing to you today. And what we're going to show you is not necessarily how an owner should handle it, because these cases are, can be so fragile. And you have to do things in the right way and you really have to baby step it. So what we're going to show you is the things that we would go through as trainers, what we're going to address first, why we'd address those things first, and what is important. What things do we need to pull out? What things do we need to go and delve into more? So here we go. Hi, from Australia. We need some urgent help with our newly rescued Great Dane. We're also moving in two weeks. He has separation anxiety and he barks and growls at my husband. My husband is out working more than he is home. I work also, but I'm mostly at home. I need to still be able to go out of the house to do things and need guidance in the best way possible to be a positive experience for him when I do leave. I'm unsure of how severe it is yet because I've not left him for a period of time. He is very underweight, so we know this is going to be a journey with him. We have been in touch now with a behavior vet, but they can't do anything until next week, and now that my husband is home, he's barking a lot at him every time he moves or speaks." It infuriates me that these so-called registered breeders would breed two Harlequin together with the result of this hearing impairments, possible vision isn't the best and mental health issues. He's just not happy. Bless him. I can't believe the previous owners were not honest about how bad it was and did nothing about it. And not being able to leave the house is a massive issue. He needs meds. I'm not sure training would work until he's less of a stress head. Thanks. And I look forward to any resources or info you could send.
0: Wow. Okay. So first of all, this situation that she's in right now Just like imagining putting yourself in her shoes, it is probably the most difficult thing to deal with a dog that A, has separation anxiety, so you can't really leave. Right. And then B, is growling at somebody that you love.
1: Right. (laughs) Not to mention if there's other dogs in the home, that now you've got this brand new dog that's 100 pounds or more coming in, just literally turning your entire household upside down. And you feel bad for this dog. Right. Because clearly it needs help. But, oh, my gosh, how overwhelming this must be and how frustrating that this didn't have to happen. You know, this shouldn't right. have happened. Somebody should have helped this dog before they got to this point. Why does this dog even need to be rescued? You know, right. like what situation was it in? We don't even know previous history. No. But I'm sure that it's it's vast. I'm sure there's a lot there of um, negligent things that have happened. We don't even know how old this dog is, which is a piece that I would definitely want to know because that's also going to tell us how long these behaviors have been going on, how long they've been neglected for. um, What type of vet care has this dog had? Yeah. So there's just so much. So we're going to look a lot at assess today. If I'm walking into this case, which I can't because I don't live in Australia, but if I did, and these are my favorite. I do like these complex cases. I like the puzzle the of The puzzles, them. yes. <laughs> um, and I like being able to research and find out more and figure out more about the puzzle. So if I'm walking in, training is not number one priority, probably not two or three priority. We're going to do a little bit here and there. We're going to do some connection and foundation stuff to make their lives easier and help them be a little bit more predictable mm-hmm. together but I'm not saying, okay, let's go outside and practice leash walking.
0: Yeah. That it's is not going to help anything.
1: No. No. Absolutely <laughs> not. Because our number one issue here is medical. Yeah. It is the bottom part of the pyramid of the hierarchy and it its biological needs. Everything is wrong for this dog biologically right and now. And
0: starting with the way that it was bred. Correct. Yeah. So
1: that means that somebody bought this dog or a breeder dumped this dog from being an. So what she's talking about is in certain lines of breeds, if you breed two different types together or two of the same types together, the puppies that they create have genetic anomalies. And so you can end up with ear issues, eye issues, coat issues. And what, and it makes it very difficult for that dog to survive and have a good quality of life. I have seen blind and deaf dogs coming out of breeders. And what do you do with that dog? They can either euthanize them as puppies or they can just hope somebody feels bad and right. takes that dog and basically changes their entire life for that dog. Right. Because now they're blind and deaf. Now, I've done training with a blind and deaf <laughs> dog. And it's interesting because it's a puzzle and you have to figure out how to communicate with them. And so it's a little bit fun, but it's also kind of sad that it's even a thing, thing. that You're they right. have yeah. to deal with. Yeah. So um, so things for assess. Where would you start?
0: So I would definitely start with just general in the house, how is the dog stressed? So obviously the dog is growling at the human and, or a human in the house who isn't in the house much. So I would I would address that. I would also want to know um, eating habits. Is the dog defecating um, normally? <laughs> normal poops. Um, things like that. So all like the internal health stuff that, that the owner can see in the house. Things that are tangible to them. And then I would also ask about sleep because mm-hmm. so that's a common one too that we ask about. And then I would definitely dive into a lot of that hearing and vision impairment that she mentioned in her blurb. So does she know like what level that of, of hearing and, and vision impairment that the dog has? Like has she con has she contacted and consulted with a vet and has the vet given her a baseline idea of what the dog can hear and what the dog can see? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it only one eye that is, has problems? Are both eyes cloudy? Are Or is one ear messed up? So it kind of depends on what's happening there. I think that's going to play a huge role as well.
1: I also think that getting more specific vet care, because maybe the eyes and ears can be helped, and right now it's an issue because it's from lack of care. But if we get some medication on board, let's say, for example, like issues that can be helped with medication, that's not more genetic. He wasn't born this way. It's because it was let go for so long. We need to get that on board first to help the vision, to help the hearing, to help the digestion, to help the gut, to help the skin. I mean, when dogs have skin issues, even like think about if you have a skin, when you have a bug bite, how annoying is that to your body that won't stop itching? And that's one bug bite. Now imagine if your entire body feels that way. If you were just so uncomfortable in your own skin that every time somebody touches you, it's, oh, stop. I'm itchy. I'm uncomfortable. Stop it. I I just want to crawl out of my own skin. Yeah. And this is just what we know on the outside of this dog. What's occurring on the inside? Does he have massive headaches every day? Is he having massive stomach aches? Do his elbows ache so that he doesn't even want to be touched? Does it hurt to get off the couch? Like, we have to realize that just because what we look at on the outside shows us one picture, that that could be a completely wrong picture, Because we don't know what's happening internally. Think about a person. You can look at a person and be like, oh, yeah, they're healthy. Look at them. And they have a thousand million issues internally that cause them to have much different behaviors than we would expect just because we can't tell what's on the outside. So we really need a vet that's willing to look at this with a fine tooth comb. Not just, hey, I did a one over. Yeah, his right eye's a little worse than his left. Yeah, I don't think he can hear well. Every now and then some high pitches, but you know, I think he should just be okay. Here's some meds for anxiety. No, 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 no. no. Yeah. We need like <laughs> really in depth. Like I yeah. want to know exactly what's going on with this dog because that's, what's going to help me determine a training plan yep. because I need to know if I stand on his right or left, that's going to determine how well he's able to quote, listen to me because he <laughs> can't see me. Yep. So I need to know specifics and I need a vet who's going to do that for me. Now she did contact a vet behaviorist. And what that means is it's a vet that has gone further schooling to become a behaviorist, to learn about behavior so that they can um, prescribe meds in addition to understanding behavior. Most vets do not know behavior. Most vets actually give very, 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 very outdated (laughs) advice (laughs) on behavior because they're only using their own personal knowledge and personal experience. They are not using their authority as a vet or what they've learned in vet school Yep. on behavior. The very so,
0: first vet that I went to with Jack, uh, she recommended a shot collar, right? And then I was so like, straight no, off the bat, first right, thing. Right. Yeah. Um, we're good, I, you should probably use a shot collar. That's what she said it was. Um, and I was like, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. Like, he doesn't really need that. He needs help mentally. And I also asked her afterward, I was like, I'm curious, what, what kind of schooling did you get for behavior? And she was like, oh, well, we had one class freshman year, second semester on behavior. That was it. And so that to me, was very telling. Right. I mean, vets are great, like they know all. they're all for medical. It. Right, but they are.: for I medical. wouldn't
1: ask my son's pediatrician about needs that he has that aren't about his medical state, because right. that's not their specialization. Yep. Just like I wouldn't really be asking his dentist about behaviors that I'm seeing in his school, right. Because I don't want his personal opinion. Right. I want a professional opinion that right. actually has education behind it. Yeah. So you need to make sure. And there's some vets who are wonderful
0: yeah, because sure. they've
1: done their own research. Yeah. But you also have to remember that there's a lot of people out there that are calling themselves behaviorists, canine behaviorists, behavioralists. Ugh. They make up their own words <laughs> and that. it means nothing yeah. because there's no real rhyme or reason to how that word is being used. So you really need to make sure that people have the education behind what they're saying.
0: Yeah, so health is playing an enormous role. I mean, health is probably what's causing 98% of these behaviors. I mean, if we turn
1: this around and say this is a foster child that comes into your home, can't see, can't hear, is massively underweight, doesn't know where they are, and now is expected to just know the rules of your home, yeah, there's going to be some crying. There's going to be some temper tantrums. There's going to be some breaking of things. There's going to be a lot of of out-of-control stuff happening because everything is wrong in this child's life right now, everything is wrong in this dog's life. So we need to make sure that we're addressing. And again, you can do assess and prevent at the same time that you're doing some teaching, but you cannot focus solely on the training piece and skip over all of the biological stuff, because we have to remember that this is a dog first that cares about its survival and it cannot feel safe if it cannot see. It cannot feel safe if it cannot hear you. It cannot feel safe if its body hurts so badly that it can't run away from you when it doesn't feel safe. Right. So it needs to be addressed. We have to do the bottom of the pyramid first before we move up the pyramid. And the pyramid I'm talking about is the hierarchy of dog needs. And biological needs are at the bottom. Then you have emotional needs. Then you have social needs. And then you have training
0: Right. That's the last step. <laughs> right.
1: Like, look how high it is because yeah. it doesn't matter. We can make a dog do stuff, but if the other stuff underneath is all out of whack, we're going to see that behavior fall apart because the dog's quality of life is not, we're not meeting the needs that that dog has as just a being, as just a living being. We're not meeting its needs properly. So that's first step with this dog. We need blood work. We need an ophthalmologist. We need to really get this dog in and under really good care. Get a team.
0: We need a team care team.
1: team. Um, (laughs) And then we also need to find out the breeder. We need to go talk with them. We sure do. (laughs) We're not going to let that one slide. (laughs) We need to have a conversation with them. We need to find the other puppies in the litter. If this is a young dog and we need to say, what other issues are these other puppies having? Are they not having any issues? Was this just a weird one off or are all of them having issues? Why? Where are the parents? We need to see where the line goes. You know, if this is a responsible registered breeder they're going to have tons of information for you yep (laughs) if this is not a responsible breeder they're either not going to respond to you they're going to get mad at you and they're going to say no this is your problem it's not mine it has nothing to do with me right or they're going to talk to you and they're just going to say everything's
0: fine i don't know
1: what happened and they're going to play dumb yep so talking to the breeder it can go nowhere but at least they'll know people are starting to hold them accountable yeah So that's important. It needs to have a conversation. That's
0: not just with breeders too. That's with trainers, with vets. Like we need to hold people accountable for giving us shitty information Mm -hmm. um, or giving us shitty dogs basically. Um, So yeah, I, uh, I definitely think that that's important. I also do think one of the things that I would set up or set out at the very beginning is expectations of this dog. Yes. Oh my gosh. And I
1: think, and it would need to be tentative expectations because this dog could go one way or the other. It could be amazing. You get the dog fixed medically and all of a sudden everything's amazing. And you're like, oh my God, it's the best dog ever. That right. has happened before. Or you realize these issues are, are becoming massive, more and more massive. The more you dive into them, you're like, oh my gosh. And he has this and he has a thyroid issue. Right. And his his kidney is half the size it's supposed to be. Like all these internal issues that, again, come from the breeding part. Right. And we're realizing, okay, now we need to look even further into quality of life. Yeah. Is it fair? to keep this dog dealing with all of these issues that are going to cause behavior problems that are going to cause it to not have a social life, not have emotional connections because it's, it's struggling so badly with its medical needs.
0: So yeah, setting those expectations up front, I think is going to be really important for that as well. I do love the fact that she already has a vet behaviorist, Uh, set in stone like as far as she's gonna go talk to them Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good step that she's taking there she's Um, already
1: looking at nutrition yep she's already looking at empathy like this is a really crappy situation for him like this isn't like oh poor me my household is being turned upside down this is wow this dog is struggling and I need to help him right so I love how much empathy we're seeing from her in just this little blurb
0: right this is not a give me tips right this is a i need help and i need professional help so yeah i think that's great i
1: would probably assess the dog and the husband a little bit more yeah i want to see if it's voice related if it's if it's movement related if it's just because it's a strange person and if we build a relationship does so on the first day is it tough but then as they build the relationship the second and third and fourth day are, are easy and he's good right but it's when he leaves again and comes back that's the issue is it that change in the environment or is it specifically men in general? Is it men with hats? Is it big men, small men? Like what exactly are the triggers? You know, we can just say it's my husband, but there could be a lot more to that. Yeah. So we would need to explore that for sure. And then I would also be looking at where is this dog's safe space? Where have they chosen as their safe space? Now, sometimes dogs choose safe spaces that we don't like. (laughs) <laughs> because then they end up guarding those safe spaces, right. like our bed or a couch or a specific chair that's kind of right in the middle of the room and is really causing issues. But we want to make sure that there is a safe space that this dog has and create one if there's not. So um, really assessing how the environment is set up and making sure that it's set up for this dog. I've even had um, my client that was had a blind and deaf dog, they did scent training. And you say, okay, scent training. They went one step further and they did all vertical surfaces had one scent and all horizontal surfaces had another scent. And so the dog knew as it navigated the house, what type of thing was going to be coming up. So if it's a step, I know something horizontal is going to be there if it's vertical. So they could go oh to hotels gosh, with this that's dog. That's crazy. I mean, normally you can't go anywhere new because right. the dog doesn't know the environment. Right. Mm-hmm. They could go to hotels. They traveled with this dog. And I was like, what? That's like really that cool. is so creative. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, as long as we, we just bring our little bottle, whatever scent they use. And they just put it on like edges of beds edges of walls and edges of like tables. And it helped the dog navigate around things knowing that that meant there was like a table or a corner or something that it needed to walk around. And she like, and I was just thinking, she's like, yeah, I just wipe down every so often. I wipe down like doorways so that it knows like where the doorways are. Cause it can tell by how strong the scent is. Right. Where in the doorway they are. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Oh, like so this is cool. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Super important too. Yeah. And I think, Another thing that I would assess is the separation anxiety. What does that look like? Is it separation anxiety? Right. Or is it isolation? Distress. Anxiety, right. or distress. Or is it confinement anxiety? It doesn't sound mm-hmm. like this, they're creating him or anything like that, but um, could be a number of different uh, avenues that you could go down on that as well. Right. And if she hasn't, right, she yeah. hasn't
1: even left the dog yet. So maybe right. it's not really separation anxiety. This behavior yeah. would be happening no matter who is there, yeah. no matter what the environment is, because the dog just feels so out of control has no foundation, no experiences, is scared out of its mind and doesn't feel good on top of that. So right. this could not even be separation anxiety. Sure. It could be a multitude of other things. Yeah.
0: I've had a couple dogs that came to me with separation anxiety issues but then ended up having like medical problems and then mm-hmm. once those were satiated and fixed, then the as the separation anxiety actually Syria, you went away.
1: <laughs> <Which is laughs> I, interesting. I also think that it's worth mentioning that in a lot of cases like this, where you have a lot of movement, wild behaviors here, they're everywhere, barking, right? Like there's just a lot of like craziness, yeah. but something that people start to look for is I just want my dog to just be still. I want my dog to just stop moving. And they find solace in a place behavior. Or just putting a thing in the corner of the room and teaching the dog, hey, you go over there and you don't do anything. You just lay on that mat over there or that to cur- bed cot thing, and don't bark. And they do that for an hour today. And look, it was amazing how quiet he was and how great our training is going. But remember that stillness and the act of being calm isn't good behavior. I can make a dog stop moving. That's not good behavior. I want the dog to learn to be, to live, to be on autopilot and to live cohesively with the, with its home. And that means the dog needs to be free. So if you have to continue to place your dog or put them on their cot over and over again for 90 minutes, two hours, every time you cook because they can't function.
0: Yeah, that's, that's
1: no nope. So <laughs> I think it's worth mentioning, like... That would be one of the first-line defenses for many trainers. Oh, well, we'll just teach him a really strong place behavior, and then we'll have the husband walk in and out of the room. Done. Yeah, We'll fix that behavior in two seconds. But remember, it's not fixing the root of the issue. It might somewhat desensitize him to it, but it's not going to help the dog function in that environment. And we know that all behavior has function, and we need to figure out why it's happening. So... That maybe now the husband can walk by, but as soon as that husband goes over to pet that dog's head, he gets his arm taken off. Yep. So yeah. So we need to make, make sure works. that yep. we're aware of, even though it looks good, is it actually good? We need to be really asking trainers and asking people what methods they're using, how they're teaching, and how it makes sense. And some trainers are really good at explaining. And they can make your brain kind of like, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense. Okay. Do more research, ask around, say, does this make sense? Is this what I want? Does this make sense for the dog? Does this make sense for the needs of the dog? Does the dog really need to learn this? Is this something that like long-term makes sense for my household? So just be aware that just because you can make a dog be still doesn't fix all of these other issues.
0: I almost want to say that your trainer should be obsessed with your dog's health and well-being first, Mm -hmm. not how well they can place.
1: Right or all the fire hydrants they can stand on.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. But really, though, it that's going to fix anything. That's not going to fix the separation anxiety. Oh, my gosh. We could talk about that all day. So, yeah, lots to assess here. There are also lots of ways that we can help prevent at least the things that we're seeing right now in this Correct. moment. Just to help at least until we can get a vet in here to do a full checkup on this dog, to do all that blood work, the thyroid check, all that good stuff. Um and then help the owners just live a little bit more peacefully with this dog. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the big prevention pieces is going to be for me and my brain is the the separation anxiety and for right now it sounds like the owners working from home and that's great. So I would say as of right now to prevent anxiety stay in your home as much as you can. That sucks. I'm so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, and t- again, until we can figure out more health issues. And, and then, with that,
1: out. if it's isolation distress, they just need a person. Right. They don't necessarily need you. Right. So, that alleviates some of that, and we can have a dog sitter come in. I've even gotten creative with isolation distress dogs and had, you know, elderly people that aren't doing anything, but are more than happy to just take a dog on and say, hey, yeah, your dog can stay at my house for a couple hours, no problem. And they just stay at a person's house. It's just like a little doggy daycare. And think about how wonderful that is for a person that's living alone or just really doing nothing, gardening maybe most of the day. Like, that's wonderful. So it works out for both of them, but we have to figure out which one it is. And so because that will alleviate some of the stress of mom not being able to leave. You got it. And,
0: and to, uh, to clarify separation anxiety is a hyper attachment to one or two humans. Mm -hmm. Isolation is, I just don't like to be alone. Right. I need a warm body with me. It doesn't matter who it is, but I can be with somebody and that Mm -hmm. makes me feel
1: okay. And what we're looking at as far as separation, anxiety, isolation, distress is the types of behaviors your dog does. So just barking That might just be just barking. Your dog just needs a little bit of help of what to do in that situation. We're looking at physiological changes in the body. We're looking at urinating and defecating. We're looking at targeting exits and bloodying themselves to get out of a crate. We're looking at Mm. really, really excessively stressful body because somebody picked up their keys. That's what we're looking for. Um, Other things that we might think of for separation anxiety or isolation distress is barking for hours hours and hours and hours to the point where they're, you know, they're getting hoarse because they're barking so much. And then probably hypersalivation is another one that's common that you'll see is they immediately start to pant, which means that their heart rate has suddenly skyrocketed. They're going to start to pant and they're going to start to have hypersalivation and start drooling everywhere. So a lot of people are like, Oh, well I put them in the crate and they're, uh, they're still peeing in the crate. We still have a potty training issue. Nope. Not potty training issue. That's, (laughs) that's a separation stress stress situation. And they're, they're salivating everywhere and then they're getting it all over their body as they're pacing and it's splashing everywhere. And then we get frustrated when they come home, when we come home and we find this and it becomes a whole problem. So,
0: yeah. And, and imagine this in, I guess the human world, whenever, if you out there have panic attacks, that is literally what might be happening. If your dog has true separation or isolation, stress, is a panic attack Mm -hmm. and if it happens hours and hours and hours and hours on end think about how your dog's going to feel whenever you get home they're either going to crash from all the stress that they had all that adrenaline that's been pumping for hours or they're going to be even more hyped up because they can't they can't calm down now so and think about how many behaviors are going to pop up that you don't like because of that stress is detrimental to learning yes. as we say. So we can't we can't teach anything until that stress is alleviated.
1: Right. I can't dog. come home and say, "Oh, you're crying, so I'm not going to let you out of your crate till you stop."
0: Right. That's and, not okay. Right. Yes.
1: <laughs> like that's not going to fix the issue. Like we are remember, root issue here. Root issue is that my dog is panicking. If a child was panicking, we wouldn't be like, "Hey, you got to work on that yourself, and I'll come back when you're easier for me. I'll wait. Yeah, I'll wait <laughs> until you're more convenient for me. Right. No, our job is to guide and to teach and to help and support, yep. not ignore until it's convenient. Right.
0: And there's actually been recent studies that have said letting babies cry it out is not. Right.
1: And there's even letting puppies cry it out is not ideal anymore. So
0: creates neurological issues. Correct. Yeah.
1: Because they have to feel safe and they have to feel supported and they feel vulnerable when they are left alone for long periods of time isolated. So that's a whole nother thing. (laughs) So assess. Oh, my gosh. So many things prevent separation anxiety prevention, even just creating a safe space. That the dog, so that the dog can't be running throughout the entire house barking and growling, but right. maybe has a location that it's at least maybe just in the kitchen. You know, you put a gate up or with a great bit Dane, you might want to put an X-pen that's a little bit taller. Um, but to put them in one location so that at least husband can walk around the house and not be accosted slash charged right. by the dog.
0: Creating a path for the husband, basically.
1: Yes. <laughs> yep um, separating the home a little bit. And if you have other dogs, this can definitely create issues with other dogs because other dogs are going to start to feel very uncomfortable very quickly with how crazy this other dog is acting. Right. So you might see some correcting that then crazy dog is like, Hey, I'm not down with that. I can't even see you. So I don't want you correcting me. So you might see some dog dog issues that will also need to be managed.
0: Right. So in this specific case too, going back to the gates with dad, like creating a path, You may also, because gates you can see through, so you may also have to put up a visual barrier. For me, I would probably say do your best to not have this dog see the dad. As of right now. Yeah.
1: Um, Especially if he's not there all the time anyway. Right. Yeah,
0: Yeah, do your best to prevent that from happening in the first place. So, and even if that means, like, separating for a little bit, which sucks, like, having to sleep in separate bedrooms or anything like that. But um, just temporarily until, again, we can figure out health issues and then we can start to... uh, create more positive associations with this human.
1: I also think that that would be very helpful because separating the dog would also naturally create a safe space for the dog. Yeah. So you're going to do two things at once. You're going to help the dog feel safer in this location that is now smaller, that is more consistent, that is more predictable. Husband is not coming in and out on a whim without any warning. And when the dog goes out to potty or get enrichment or whatever, they're not coming into contact with a threat each time. Or maybe coming into a contact, which is almost worse, not knowing if it's going to be there. So separating, some people think like, oh, well, they're separated, they're alone, they're isolated, or now I have to be isolated, or that's unfair to leave them in the bedroom all day. But think about how much safer a, a person or a dog that's panicking, that's struggling, having a small space is easier to manage and control. And yeah. so it feels safer. And once I feel safe here, then we can open up my world a little bit. Yep. But right now the whole house is scary. We need to make sure to make it a little bit easier for this dog.
0: Yep, for sure. Another thing I wanna throw in here is with this particular case, I would keep medications as far as like an anti-anxiety SSRI medication on my radar. I'm not saying like, okay, yeah, you need to go ahead and start medications right now, but I would keep it on my radar. and if we started doing the prevention and the dog started getting better, great. If we started doing prevention and there are still like oddities and, and the dog is not really doing well or something else is happening or maybe the dog just plateaus, mm-hmm. then that would be a, a conversation to have with that bad behavior that she's going to see and talking about prescribing some anti-anxiety for this dog.
1: Because remember, medication doesn't fix. Correct. Medication gives the dog enough room in their threshold to be able to learn. Right. And then once the dog learns the base skills that we need them to have, then we can wean them off if that's appropriate for the dog. Right. Now, some dogs do stay on long term, but sometimes they don't need to be on long term. It's because the training isn't in place at the same time. You need medication and training together. Yeah, for sure. So most people that have their dogs medicated aren't doing the training behavioral modification piece. They just medicate their dog and hope some of the issues go away and hope things get a little bit better for them. And then they say, oh, well, it didn't work. They had a lot of side effects. It didn't work. We moved around to something else. And then that didn't really work. He was still barking at dogs. Right. Well, because medication doesn't fix behavior. It just helps you teach them. Right. It helps lower their stress enough so that you can get some learning in there. Right.
0: Gets them out of that reactive brain and mm-hmm. puts them into a learning brain. Instead. Correct. Yeah. Yep. So another thing that I would probably predict, and we this is not... Sp- specifically laid out in the blurb but i want to also know what type of exercise this dog gets does it go on walks and on those walks is it scared is it barking at other dogs that would be another thing to prevent as well just to again we're trying to prevent any kind of stressful reaction that this dog has We want to
1: slow down this dog's world we want to whoa take a breath everything is out of control (laughs) yes like this dog needs a full decompression stress vacation right and that means we manage a ton we give them safe spaces. We give them some mental enrichment. We do limited walks. We make sure that everything is as as possible. Just yeah. really low-key. We might go out in the backyard. We do a little bit of walking. Maybe if if the dog has a lot of energy and wants to do it, maybe a little bit of low-jumping over some broomsticks. Like, you can do some Enrichment that involves physical activity that isn't sure. walking five miles there and five miles back or jumping into the lake. It doesn't have to be these, you know, weekend warrior type activities. It can just be some pretty low key physical exercise that involves some mental enrichment. So this dog just needs time right now, just needs time to acclimate, time to get things figured out. And right now, behaviors last. Like it really is not, and we can do some things, we can do some hand feeding. We can do some puzzle toys. We can do some find it in the grass and then you move away from them and they come catch up with you and you feed them at your side. Right. That's a great behavior for teaching a dog to recall to you to come find your side. It's great foundation for leash walking. But think about how simple it is. Your dog is just moving to eat food and then moving to come back to you for more food. Like this is a super simple behavior for a dog that they might love to do, especially a dog that's following their nose because can't see well, can't hear well. Right. Right. But it's very connecting with the owner. So we can do easy things like that, sure, with their food that we know they're going to want. But training, healing, loose leash walking, reactivity on walks with other dogs, those things are not on my radar right now. Until a lot of these other things go away. So when I'm looking at these complex cases, that biological needs part is high priority until it smooths out until things feel more controlled once they're more controlled then all of those little connection things that we've been doing now we can start increasing them and making them a little bit harder and challenging and start adding some distractions to it but until those medical needs are met until those unmet needs are fixed we can't do that i could force it sure yeah i could force a dog to go walk and hold them on a six-foot leash or put tools and collars and whatever's on them and make them walk at a heel but that's just going to elevate the stress or maybe if the dog's think about it if i have vision issues and i have headaches and then you put something on my neck that constricts my neck and i'm pulling it's just going to exacerbate my issue right. so it could actually make your problems significantly worse because you're jumping the gun you're you're jumping ahead we have to address the body first
0: right And a lot of people, a lot of trainers, will label that confidence building. Look how well they're walking through or placing on this fire Look how crazy
1: they were. And now look how great they're walking through this super crowded mall with me. But does the dog have another choice? So is the dog actually even choosing to be at the trainer's side? Or are they being forced to be there? Or is there a threat involved where if you move away, I have this little invisible correction that nobody knows I'm giving. So you have to look, again, what methods quality of life. So in our teach part, teach isn't really our main focus. We're going to create some predictable routine in the house. Yep. We're going to create some connection. We're going to play some fun games, a little bit of movement. If that is not triggering for the dog, right. um, if it is, then just a lot of hand movements, maybe some scent work, maybe just some simple stuff. Like if you move your head upwards and follow the food scent, I will click or I will tap your side or I will flash a little bulb light to show you that that makes food happen. Yeah. We have to we have to figure this dog out before we even go into teaching them. We don't even right. know what's going on yet. So,
0: right. And, and and even in teach we could do some simple like counter conditioning exercises, mm-hmm. like taking noises or things that not necessarily terrify the dog, but maybe something that maybe
1: the husband's footsteps on yeah. the stairs upstairs. It. So like yeah. sounds that the dog would know mean something might be happening. Right. I know that when I hear that chair, cause I heard my, the husband get up upstairs. I know that means he comes downstairs, comes down the staircase, comes through the hallway and then I meet him there and I'm scared of all of that. Right. So just the sound of footsteps upstairs. Right. That's what, and remember we don't know what the dog can hear or can't see. That's true. So she said, was supposed to be fully deaf, but he can definitely hear me. So what does that mean? Do we just have clogged ears? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Clean those (laughs) suckers out. Yeah, so some simple counter conditioning exercises might be really good. And again, connection building games, food, toys, just getting the dog again to just come down to a normal level. And then Mm -hmm. once we can get to that baseline, then we can start to have the dog in that learning brain and we can teach new stuff that we want.
1: I think it's also worth mentioning that sometimes in some of these really complex cases, you end up with a dog that has great dog skills, but has no other skills because they've come from a situation with a lot of dogs, or they came from a house that was like a horde and had like 50 dogs. And so they're so used to communicating with other dogs. That's their natural state, right? Like they're just used to that. That's what makes them feel safe and comfortable, safety in numbers So being with other dogs actually allows them to open up and get a little bit goofy and feel safer because they're like, Oh, I'm bumping into other dogs. That's normal for me. Bumping into tables and chairs that I don't even know where they are. That's not normal to me. Hearing voices that I don't know. That's not normal to me. So sometimes if you end up with like a dog, that's a really complex case, but gets along really great with other dogs. You can use the social learning aspect to help them feel safer in the situation by giving them more opportunities to play or to be around another dog that's stable, Mm -hmm. not a dog that's going to be rough and tumble and crazy play you can't break out of, but I'm saying a dog that's comfortable, that's stable, that's good for them, where you see good behaviors together, they're buddies, they snuggle together, they follow each other around. That's what we're looking for. And if that's the case, that can, we can add that into the teach part because then we can get the other dog on board and say, Hey, you can both come over here together and we can teach you together at the same time. Right. So that's also worth mentioning. Dogs do learn from each other, the good and the bad, but yeah. they do learn. <laughs>
0: For sure. And then as far as just like a little bit of a diving into separation anxiety too, if this, let's say that this is actually true separation, attachment to a human. And once the dog is at that baseline of where it's in a learning brain, then we can start to kind of do a little bit of uh, separation anxiety work. The best website ever, we'll put in the show notes, is melinademartini.com.
1: That's actually what I the first thing I sent her. I saw her thing, and I just (laughs) popped it right to her.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because she is, Melina Demartini is the separation anxiety queen, um, and she's got tons of resources on that website, and she even has trainers that you can contact that do specifically separation anxiety, and they only work with dogs with separation anxiety. And guess
1: what? They're all going to be virtual, because there's no reason to be in a home when the issue is when you are not home, right? So there's no reason to do in-home training to see a behavior that is occurring when nobody is home. So it is all going to be virtual setting up a camera, setting up a phone to record behaviors while you leave the house. It's all going to be done very virtually. So it actually works out really well. So if you have a separation anxiety dog right now, Now is the time to work on it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: for sure. Oh my gosh, especially in this time. Yeah. And a lot of separation anxiety stuff is a lot of just desensitization. So not really pairing food with anything. We're Mm -hmm. just teaching the dog that whenever we do certain things that might predict that we leave, like touching the doorknob, putting on our shoes, touching keys, that kind of stuff. uh, That means that we sit down and we're boring. Right. And it's very so I and I wouldn't recommend you doing this because it, there is a specific way that you have to do it in order to see progress. Like you have to keep your dog under threshold the entire time and that can be hard for a normal human to figure out what that looks like. So go to the website if you have an issue like that and then they can hook you up with the trainer and help you out. So just to reiterate, this is a long, long-term client, most likely. Um, so she has a lot to figure out. We we definitely need a care team, whether that's, you know, of course, it's going to be a behavior vet, it's going to be a regular vet, it's going to be maybe even a neurologist, a couple of different avenues that we could take to just get this dog, again, at that point where it can learn and it's not stressing out. Then we're going to slowly start to open up this dog's world, Right. slowly. We're right. not going to... Immediately when it's at that point where you know it's it can think it can, it's not stressed, we're not going to take it to a, a dog park, or right. we're not going to take it to a big crazy busy area. Or say, okay, now
1: you get sent away for two
0: weeks of training. Right. No, no, no. Right. That's not going to happen. So it's a slowly slowly open up opening up that bubble so that the dog can experience more and start to learn the world is not scary.
1: Remember, this is a marathon, not a sprint. This is the crock pot method, not the microwave method. We yeah. don't want. Hey, I just want this to be done in two weeks because we're moving. This is, Hey, I took this dog on and I know that we're going to get to where we're going, but we need to baby step it to get there because that's, what's best for the dog, because that's what all beings need. They don't need to be rushed in there, especially with baggage like this. Yeah. Nobody with baggage does well when it's like, no, you have to do it in this way. It's all done at their own time with guidance, with loving, supportive guidance. Yeah.
0: And another thing to note is that this is not going to be linear progress either. This is not going to be, oh, we got better today, and then the next day you get better, and then the next day it got better, and the next day. No, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be up and down and crazy, mm-hmm. and you're going to fall into holes, and then you're going to climb mountains, and we're just going to have an amazing day, and then you're going to fall back down. So it's going to take a lot of up and down progress for right. this dog to
1: actually see And that's what makes holes. you feel successful Yeah, is going through those struggles yeah. with your dog. That's what makes you a better trainer as an owner. That's what you build your experiences on for your next dog and your next dog and your next dog. So everybody who had a really tough dog said it made me a better person because I had to learn more. I had to force myself to do things different because what I was doing wasn't working. So I had to make sure that I was like, okay, I need to look at this from a different light. I'm not doing this in a way that makes sense for this particular dog. So Cases like this, are they complex? Can they be frustrating? Sure. Especially if the person is on a time crunch, but maybe this is not the home for that dog. Mm-hmm. Then, And then we need to also look at that as an issue. So okay. this is not a dog where I'm going to walk in and say, ah, this isn't going to work for me. I think this dog should be put down. Absolutely not. There are a million things we can do before we ever, ever, ever get to that point. Right. But we need to make sure that we fully go into each of those steps and make sure that we've addressed them properly.
0: Okay, so we have assessed, we have prevented, and we have taught new behaviors, kind of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> almost. Maybe not yet for this dog. Um, if you have any behavior cases that you would like to give us, please message us either on our Instagram, or you can email us at gmail.com And if you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating. We would love to hear from you. Um, we are we have lots of really in- like amazing plans for future episodes. So if you have any suggestions about some IQ boosts, or if you have anything that you'd like to hear, let us know. But until next time,
1: happy training. Bye.